This is Life Admin Life Hacks, a podcast that gives you techniques, tips, and tools to tackle your life admin more efficiently, to save your time, your money, and improve your household harmony. I'm Dinah Rowe Roberts, a commercial and finance executive. And I'm Mia Northrop, a user experience designer, researcher, and writer. Welcome to Life Admin Life Hacks. Some of you may already have needed to help parents downsize or move into residential care or help someone else who, for whatever reason, needs a hand to get on top of their stuff. This isn't something Diana and I have first-hand experience with, So we decided to call in the experts. So today we're talking to Joe and Kristen from Springtime, a team of professional organisers in Melbourne. Welcome to the show, Joe and Kristen, and thanks for sharing your expertise with our listeners. Hi, Maya. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Maya. So Dinah and I have spent a bit of time talking about decluttering and exploring the different philosophies behind why you might approach it in certain ways. But I want to know what does decluttering mean to each of you? Well, I'll answer on behalf of both of us. For us, decluttering means making life easier. It's about being able to find things more easily. It's about being able to tidy up your house really quickly because you have less stuff and everything has a place. It's about having more time to do the things that you like. And I think, and this is a really big one for me personally, it's about having fewer decisions to make in your day. And if I can give you an example, I'll ask you a question, Mia. How many lipsticks do you actually, do you wear lipstick, firstly? Rarely, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I've done a little survey, and of the people I know who wear makeup, most people have three lipsticks that they actually use. Yes, that's so true. Right? And yet in so many homes that we go to when we're working in bathrooms with clients, our clients, oh, my goodness, I think sometimes, Chris, what have we seen, you know, 26-plus mm-hmm. lipsticks? Old and manky. And, yep, and yet when we when we talk about it, clients admit that they actually only have three. And so in my bathroom, I have three lipsticks. I have my daytime, my nighttime, and a red one for if I'm feeling a bit sassy. <laughs> so for me, that whole chunk of decision taken out of my day, I don't think about it, and that just frees my headspace up for doing things that I find more interesting. Bedroom linen and bath towels, two sets for each bed, two sets for each person. Sometimes you wonder, how much should I have? What is enough? And you end up either buying things spontaneously or getting given things. Is that why people end up with so much stuff? How do they get to this overwhelmed state? You know, I think of my own, I don't have a linen press at my house. My house is really small, so I've just hijacked a couple of shelves in my son's wardrobe. And it's fine. Like I, I think we all end up with these towels that we first had when we were house sharing it when we were at uni, and for some reason they just never leave, and we don't use them. So it's that fear that you think if you throw something out, you might need it later. I'll yes. just keep it just in case I need just it. Just in case, or... or you just don't think about it. It just gets shoved in the back of the cupboard. So when you declutter and you're down to you know. One on the, one set of linen on the bed, one in, either in the washer in the in the cupboard, 
Mm. It's just this whole chunk of decision-making taken out of your day and I think that's one of the things that, you know, we really love about a decluttered home. So what does a clutter-free house look like for you? I think a a clutter-free house can still look untidy at times. I mean, I raced out this morning and there were still dishes on the bench and probably the kids' pyjamas still on the floor of their bedroom. And often when I tell people that I'm a declutterer, they say, oh, you should come to my house. My house is so messy. I think there's a big distinction between a clutter-free house and a messy house. I mean, all our houses get messy at some stage, but the big point is a messy house can be tidied quickly. There's um, enough cupboard space to put things away. The bench tops are, are, are free and tidy. The hallways are tidy. There's no piles of papers or, or bags down the hallway for people to trip over or have to walk around. For me, a decluttered house feels calm and inviting. You know, you can see your belongings, your artwork and your family photos, your ornaments and your mementos, rather than just regular household stuff thrown around everywhere. Mm. Well, on the surface, it might look like there's a little, you know, tornado has gone through, but you can restore it to that calm state really quickly. Quickly, really, That's right. Really Absolutely. quickly. When things have a home, it, it makes, you can do a tidy really quickly. And, and it means other people in your family can also, if they know where things belong and when things have a designated home, they can put things away as well. It's, it's, it's easier that way. And I think Chris and I, we often encounter clients who say to us initially, I need more storage. I need more storage options. And in fact, quite often what they need is to have less stuff. Some people just want to um, some help getting a pantry or a wardrobe in order. And sometimes we're helping people declutter their home, their whole house. You know, they might be moving, downsizing, renovating, or they might have moved into a house and been in there for six months or so and still struggling to get to some of those boxes that they just haven't had time to unpack and the boxes have been stacked in the corner of a, a room. Sometimes we work, the two of us, sometimes it's just one. Sometimes our client likes to work side by side with us. Sometimes they give us a brief and once um, we get to know them, they get to know us, they trust us, they give us the key to their home and, and let us, you know, let us do our thing. Every brief, every job is different. And so we work however best suits our client. And at what stage do they get in contact with you? Are, sort of, are they at some sort of tipping point where they're trying to do it themselves and they don't know what they're doing or is it more that they just don't have time to tackle this task? I think a little bit of everything, Mia. It varies. Sometimes clients um, are motivated by sudden decision to go overseas or illness. We have clients too that ring us and we have a chat to them and then it might take them a few months just sort of, you know, get the courage to to call us again and and have us in their house. But once the process starts, you know, some people just really get into it, the clients, and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, they they can do it themselves. They often say it's a bit addictive because it feels really good once they get started. The starting is the hardest part, I think, for most of the clients. Um, we have a chat over the phone to them. We do uh, lots of listening. We ask some questions. Sometimes if it's necessary, we'll do a visit out to the to the client's house. And once um, the process starts, we you know help put in organisational systems and um, each of that varies from client to client. We don't have a set methodology that we are rigid about and there's that's very deliberate because every client is different so whilst there's so much information out there on the internet and you know you've got Marie Kondo and and 
so many books being published and many of them have fabulous advice and we draw from lots of different different experts when we work with people but everybody's different and so we have to really go in there and the process varies because each each person's individual and what's going to work best for them will vary from client to client. Yeah, what's your take on the Marie Kondo way of doing things? Um, that's a good question. There's not a lot that she's said that hasn't already been said by other people in the past, but I think she's marketed in a brilliant way. Sometimes perhaps she's a little bit hardcore. Please don't ask me to rip pages out of books. I mean, it just actually makes my chest hurt to think about it. Um, There are some parts of her book that really resonates with some of our clients. Some of them really like that idea of, you know, holding an object and thanking it and farewelling it and being grateful. And others would, you know, think that's madness. So there are bits of it that we really like and that we draw on. And again, it just varies from client to client. But like hats off to Nairi Kondo. She's, she's, um, she's been hugely successful. Mm. Yeah, she has packaged it up in quite a compelling way. She and has. I think anything that's really encouraging people to think about all the items they surround themselves with and what they really need and what they really want their lives to feel like is, you know, a good thing. It's about where you start. So when you arrive at someone's house, where do you, if you're doing a full decluttering of someone's <sighs> house, where do you start? The first thing is to gauge just how kind of anxious the client is feeling about the process. So it's quite common for people initially to feel a bit ashamed or embarrassed about having, I mean, we're, we're strangers to begin with, mm-hmm. coming into their homes and looking at their things. And that dictates the pace that we go at, doesn't it? It jo? does. Mm-hmm. And so that's not everyone. Some people are quite okay about it. But if people are feeling really emotional about the process, then we usually will start with something that is not sentimental. So, you know, a laundry, a pantry, a bathroom, these are good places to start. Most people aren't hugely emotionally attached to their spice racks. So, you know, that's we can we can get going and we can build some rapport and get some confidence and start sort of teaching them the process of of going of of making those decisions and, you know, getting our, our category sorted about what's being what, what's hard rubbish, what's being recycled, what's being returned to somebody. You know, quite often people have things in their homes that aren't actually theirs. They've just been meaning to get around to giving back to someone. Um, and what's you know donations as clients get the momentum and the confidence, and we get our rhythm going with each session. We'll start tackling the more tricky things. Other times clients will say to us, you know, they will find out what their pain point is and it might be straight away. They might say to us, like every time I walk in my house and I look at that front room, I feel stressed. And if that's the case and they're ready to deal with it, then we'll go straight to what's what their priority is. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the trickier areas? Where do you find people get bogged down or it's you know starts to get a little bit emotional or a little bit... Oh, oh goodness. Uh, sometimes it's the most obscure things, really. Like, you know, little things that Joe and I might pick up and, and think that, you know, an automatic, we make an automatic decision that, you know, that's not, doesn't have a purpose and it's old and it can go. And for some reason, that client just wants to cling to it. But it, it, it more often represents something else, something a bit deeper. 
I love working with our clients and you, you start hearing the stories and, and particularly as you spend more time with clients and you get to know them a little bit better, they share some of those stories and then the pieces come together and it starts making sense to you why that mahjong set, you know, was an odd family game and it meant, you know, time that the family sat around a table playing the game together. When Dinah and I were talking about what sort of we have too much of, one of the things I realised is I have a lot of cutlery in the house, <laughs> yeah. cutlery that belonged to my mum, cutlery that belonged to my grandmother. Mm. And for a lot of people, be like, why the hell have you got seven cutlery sets? And it's because we used to bring out that cutlery for Christmas yes. or these big family yeah. occasions, these big meals. And so I have mm-hmm. really fond memories of this special cutlery coming out and it represents those beautiful moments in my childhood and that's why I have seven sets of cutlery. Yeah, and and we need to hear people's stories sometimes about things and that's why we can't be too prescriptive about what stays and what goes because we don't know the backstory and and at the end of the day the client, you know, is in charge about what matters to them and what they want to keep and the idea is not, you know, like if if you love those cutlery sets and they mean a lot to you and you want to keep them, then that's okay. It's it's not about clearing out everything in your house and and having everything down to an absolute minimal. Things that people often find difficult to deal with are photos, children's artwork. Oh, gosh. And gifts. Oh, my goodness, gifts. (laughs) Um, You know, I have we have come across wedding gifts that are still in the box that are shoved in the top of a wardrobe in a spare bedroom that have never come out of the box and yet people feel so guilty about parting with it. So we often have to do a bit of work on once, you know, and I think I think Marie Kondo actually talks about this. Once a gift is given to you, it is yours and it doesn't mean you weren't grateful or appreciative or that you didn't, you know, value the gesture behind it, but you don't have to keep it. I think a lot of people are going to sigh with relief when they hear this a few times listening to this episode. <laughs> Kids' toys are the other ones, I think. Oh, yeah. I hear so many parents say, oh, I couldn't possibly throw that toy out, you know. Mary really loved it. And, and yes, I've worked with a number of women on their, their toy rooms and two weeks later they've said to me, oh, you know, Mary didn't even notice that we'd thrown that out, mm. um, you know, and they started playing with, with, you know, particular toys more. Yeah. I think Kristen's right. It's quite often clients once we've sort of decluttered their children's toys say that their children start playing quite differently, a lot more imaginative play, a bit less going straight to the screens. And part of that is about the children are overwhelmed. If there's too many toys to choose from and they don't have complete sets, I think it just it's yeah. easier just to pick up an iPad. And so quite a few of our clients have said that the way their children play is quite differently because they can see the things, yeah. they can make a choice and they've got the room. Setting an example to children is a really important one as well. You know, I mean, often we we run our houses like our mothers did. If they see, you know, you keeping a nice sort of decluttered house and, and making good choices about what to buy, what to keep, then hopefully, you know, they, they'll follow that through as well. Mm. My own children, I've got teenagers now, and, yes. yeah, they're, they're quite keen on selling things as well that they've outgrown so there's there's a win in that for them as well and I guess there's some things where you have to be a bit sort of environmentally responsible about how you dispose things I think both people know okay I can give things to op shops but are there other places that you've discovered are, are great 
you know, worthwhile recipients of some other things that we might not have been so obvious? Yes. I'll just touch on the op shop if I may, though. We have to often educate our clients that unless an item is in full working order and good condition and you would be prepared to give it to a friend, please don't give it to the op shop because quite often people you know, not deliberately, they, I think their intentions are still good, mm-hmm. but use op shops as a dumping ground, yeah. which just actually creates costs for them. You know, hard rubbish is a necessary evil in our job and, and certainly a lot, you know, of times, particularly when we're doing a full house, a lot does go to hard rubbish. In terms of what can be recycled, and, of course, we try and recycle as much, our first protocol is usually our local councils. They do vary from council to council in terms of what they accept but a lot of them do have free drop off for you know your light globes oils paints paint tins um, x-rays x-rays old mobile phones Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of things things with light globes and (laughs) x-rays i've just I just put them in the bin. No. What are you supposed to no, do? No, 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 don't. Don't. <laughs> Even my local library has a, a little um, box where you can put x-rays, CDs, old mobile phones, um, videotapes, all sorts of things, and it's, you know, it's very convenient just to, as you're driving past one day, just to slip them in. Mm. It doesn't take much time at all. Because yeah, I think there's lead in the x-rays. There's lead in And the that's x-rays. why they need to be recycled separately. Take them out of the paper first, though. It's the thing with for me, you know, with the hard rubbish, it's that that first time you declutter, there might be an element of hard rubbish, but hopefully that then makes people stop and think going forward about what they buy Mm -hmm. and and how much Mm -hmm. they need. So whilst there's an immediate impact, you know, hopefully over time people people Mm -hmm. get smarter Mm -hmm. about what they what they purchase and and other sort of sort of responsible ways of getting rid of things is medicines all your expired medicines take them down to the chemist don't put them in the bin take them to the chemist though they can be disposed of safely we've even had um, locksmiths will take keys i mean one client we went to she had like an ice cream bucket full of keys she didn't know what any of them were for i don't even understand how anyone accumulates that many keys but she did and we took them to the locksmith and he was delighted. So that's, you know, yeah. Oh, gosh. The other thing we didn't mention was the, <laughs> was the toxic chemicals. Um, Department of Sustainability have free drop-offs of toxic chemicals um, around the state at various times. If you jump on their website, it's free. You just book in a time. It's a great service. You just put all your toxic chemicals into a, a tub in your boot. You drive up, they open the boot and they take it out for you and you drive off again. It's um, so easy. So I have to ask what kind of toxic chemicals you've got. Oh, you know, across. things like metho. Metho, tips, anything oh, with a poison yeah. symbol on it, you really are not supposed to. I mean, you can't tip that stuff down the sink and you're not supposed to put it in your rubbish bin. Even things like fire extinguishers. Um, oh. there are, every home, particularly in garden sheds, will have products that you really are not supposed to put in your local rubbish oh. bin. Yeah. So you just go, go on the yeah. website for sustainability. I'm all the things that I've sent to landfill for Including Okay. Well, now I know. Now we all know. <laughs> I don't worry. <laughs> well, this has all been learning for us over the last few years too. The other scenarios you mentioned was help when people are helping their parents downsize or move into residential care. What sort of special approaches or things worth taking into consideration in that situation? In that situation, it's a particularly stressful time for the family. 
Often the parents are looking at selling the family home. Parents might be ill or they may have just lost one of their parents, so they're going through a period of grief. So we need to be particularly sensitive to to that and to the family's um, requirements and their needs. Sometimes getting in a, a third party can often, you know, assist with eliminating the stress and the conflict, you know, within a family. Yeah, we have frequently had sons and daughters say that we've really, you know, saved the relationships within their families because, you know, often there's more than one son and daughter involved as well. And we, by getting a professional organiser involved to help manage the process, and it's a huge process when, when an elderly family members moving into care there's so much going on and often you're even talking about you know power of attorneys changing and all sorts of things it frees the sons and the daughter or the carer to actually care for their loved one mm-hmm. and yeah. put their energy into that while we're doing a lot of the, the background work of dealing with the physical side of the house so and it's about showing respect too to the elder member of the family that you know, respecting that it's their things and, you know, we try and empower them and give them the opportunity to make decisions about what they want done with with their things that they no longer need. So what three things would you advise listeners who were, if they were in a situation where they had to help someone else declutter their place? Allowing people to to tell the story if they need to about things. Whilst it might might seem time consuming at, at that point, it will keep the process moving if you allow people to talk about the stories. I think, for example, I can remember working with an elite athlete once who had retired, and she was time to get rid of all the lycra. And yeah, you know, there was a lot of it. And thing, you know, she competed at you know on the world stage, and she had to tell me about what each little crop top. What, what she'd done, what event, and that was part of the process of letting go and moving on. It was part of the grief. And this is an interesting one. If you're helping people to declutter their home, don't let them handle things too much if you can help it. So we were working with a lady and, and she said, I've realised that when I'm holding things, I have a lot more trouble letting go of it. But when you're holding it and I'm looking at it, I can make a much more sensible and rational decision. A bit more perspective. Yes. So sometimes we find you sit the person down and you hold the objects and show them to them and then you're moving them into the piles. They're making the decisions, but the yeah. less handling, the better. And finding the right pace, I find, is the other mm, yeah. sort of tricky part of our job. Everyone works at a different pace. Um, so if you go in there all guns blazing, and, you know, we have the ability to make decisions quickly, but our client, you know, might need a little bit more time. So we have to, and usually this happens in our sort of first session or two with a client, is find a pace that works for them. And usually as time, you know, we usually limit our sessions to three three to four hours because by that time that person's got decision fatigue and they're, they're so over deciding do I need that teacup or not, you mm. know, how many do I need? So simple decisions become a lot lot harder. Yes. Yeah, time, time limit is is a really good idea if you're going to work, if you're going to help a family member or a friend. How about if you're doing it yourself? What would you advise listeners who are planning to, to declutter their own home? So let's say you, you're tackling um, your kid's playroom. 
don't you do all the hard work of pulling everything out and sorting and making your piles don't then just reshuffle those things to somewhere else in your house. <laughs> Put them in your boot and take them away straight away. Get them out. Take them to the op shop or take them to St Kilda Mums or take them to the tip if they have to, but don't just move them into the garage or move them into the hallway for later because I think quite often people do the do the hard stuff at the beginning but then just have ended up reshuffling. So Kristen's right, get them out yeah. of and factor the house. that into your, your time. If you set aside an afternoon, you know, and you know you've got three hours, work work hard for two hours, then go, okay, that, that last hour is I'm gonna put them in my boot and I'm gonna drive around and drop them off. Mm-hmm. Um, and do that straight away. It stops people coming home and going through those boxes and second guessing your decisions yeah. or you second guessing your own decisions. Yeah. I have yeah, fallen prey to that where I've put things aside in a bag and one of the kids has wandered into my room and found <laughs> the bag. And they're like, what's this, mum? They start pulling things out and it's all unraveled. It can be difficult to get started with decluttering, but all mm. of our clients, and I can say this 100%, say at the end of the process they feel lighter, like physically lighter and like a load has been lifted. So even if it feels overwhelming to begin with, the reward is there at the end. We've never had a client regret going through the process. They all feel that lightness and that relief at the end. And they all give us a hug. Yeah, we do get hugs, which is really nice. And when the house, when, when a home is physically decluttered, it really lends itself to people applying the strategies the life admin hacks that you guys have been talking about in your podcast. You know, it's much easier to put these fantastic systems into place, like having the shared electronic diaries and the paperless home once you've got the house in order. So they they marry in beautifully together. Beautiful. Well, hopefully our listeners are inspired to get into it. It's a good time of year if you've got some extra time over the holidays or using New Year's Eve as an opportunity to have a clean slate. Yes. This sounds like a good place to start. So thank you so much for your advice and sharing your experience with us today. Thanks, Thanks, Maria. Thank you. So, Dinah, do you have a life admin high of the week for us? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I'm just, sorry. I just, it makes me laugh because my kids are still pretty little and the pocket money's not on their radar, but I could just imagine getting into some IOU wars and tally keeping and the conversations. Oh, the joys of parenthood. Sorry, keep going. Mm-hmm.
Mm. Yeah, and there's other opportunities to use actual coins and notes. It doesn't have to be through pocket money. Yeah, I thought I would talk about the Clutter Coach Organize Your Life podcast. This is a weekly podcast. The episodes are five to ten minutes long. Each episode tackles an aspect of decluttering an organization and it could be from dealing with unwanted gifts or dealing with the piles. You know, we've covered the topic. But what I like about this is for people who need a weekly nudge, it's perfect. It's very practical. It's very relatable. And it will just give you that weekly motivation or inspiration if you need coaching through a sustained decluttering effort. So you should be able to find it on your podcasting app of choice. That wraps up our deep dive on decluttering. Try this episode's Life Hacks at Homes. If you're helping someone declutter, work at the pace of whoever you're helping. Rushing them may lead to them stopping altogether. Let them tell the story of items they're letting go of to help them through the process. And consider hiring professional organisers to free up families to care for your parents instead of dealing with physical stuff. And thanks so much for listening in 2018 for our first season. We'll be taking a break over the summer. We've absolutely loved putting this podcast together and you'll see us back in February 2019. Stay safe and have a great break over the festive season. If you'd like to join us on our Life Admin journey, please head to our Facebook page, Life Admin Life Hacks, to follow us and share your thoughts on what we're doing. And feel free to post any comments or certainly post suggestions that we might be able to use. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Show notes for this episode are available at lifeadminlifehacks.com. If you're a fan, please subscribe and share the love and tell a friend or review us in your podcasting app.